On today's very special episode of Talkin' Tom, we're watching the movie that started my love of all things Tom Hanks, Sleepless in Seattle. Sleepless in Seattle is a 1993 romantic comedy written and directed by Nora Ephron and marks her and Tom's first collaboration as well as Meg Ryan and Tom's second. Ah, so if you're interested in listening to a conversation about signs, the 90s, and the current state of romantic comedies in general, keep listening. <laughs> That sound right? Yeah. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. Welcome back. We're back. It's another episode of Talkin' Tom, the Pod Hanks Tomcast, where we watch Tom Hanks movies, and then we talk about them. This is maybe the most important podcast for you. Yes. And for me. Yes. Because this, how we feel about this, this is your favorite movie. Yeah. This is not only your favorite Tom Hanks movie, this is like top tier Josie's favorite movie, correct? Yes. So there's a lot of expectation riding on this. The hype train is rolling. This is the deciding moment. Um, before we get started, my name's Josie. I'm Daniel. And today we watched Sleepless in Seattle. Yes, we did. The 1994 Tom Hanks romantic comedy starring Meg Ryan and also Tom. (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy. He's in all these movies we keep watching. Yeah, there's a recurring theme to this podcast, which he's in them, the movies we watch. Okay. So we've done things a little differently today. Mm -hmm. Starting with, we're at my house. The, for the first time. You've never been here. I've been a very bad co-host. It's fine. Your apartment's way nicer than mine, but um, this is like where I watch most of my Tom Hanks movies. So. It's a great, it's a great location. It's got great lighting. It's mm-hmm. got a great set. The, the most perfect size, t- like this TV was sized to fit the area you put it in. Yeah. Which makes it really aesthetically pleasing. Well, yeah. Here's the thing. I live in a literal shoebox. My apartment is so small that everything that I own, I had to basically get custom sized, like the couches, like custom fit to measure right exactly in this area, because I wanted to maximize the space as much as possible. It, it looks like everything has like a specific, like was very carefully calculated. Thank you. And it feels it doesn't feel small at all. Does it, it remind feels very you purposeful? Does it remind you of a Nora Ephron decorated movie? Um, I could see that. There's, much- I mean, there's a lot of cat decor, <laughs> and there's a painting that I'm. I've been fascinated with that I don't know how to describe except it's two people kissing but they're becoming crystals. Yeah. It's cool. And huh? uh, yeah, I really dig it. I'll post a photo on the Okay. Yeah. Um yeah, that's one of my favorite pieces actually. It's great though. I've curated a little art museum here. Every single space and every single piece in here, every single like thing is like it took me like basically 4 years to do this. That's have you have you lived here for a long time? Yeah, this is That's the first the best apartment thing I ever it. had in Los Angeles. It feel like you get to grow into it. You don't have to like move out every year. Yeah, I don't. My rent's cheap as fuck. So, yeah. <laughs> a rare, a, a true rarity. Yeah. Okay. Well, have you ever seen Sleepless in Seattle before? No, you know I don't. I've never seen it in its entirety. But when we got toward the end of the movie, I like recognized that the scene on top of the Empire State Building. Mm-hmm. So I can't tell if. I've just seen it on TV or seen pictures of it, but that part I 
somehow remember, but I don't remember anything else in the movie. For some reason, I feel like that ending shot is in another movie. Like it's playing on the TV, maybe? Maybe. I have no idea. I can't. It's going to bug me till I find out. I'll research it later. Yeah. Maybe I mean, I'm sure this was on TV all the time. My mom loves this movie. Oh, really? So I know it's been on in the, ha- in the house when I was yeah. growing up. I mean, this is like the movie. Yeah. I feel. <laughs> this, was a weird, this was a weird one to not have seen, but then when we started this, I was like, I'll just wait. Yeah. Because I might as well experience it fresh. Yeah. Okay. Well, do you want to sum up the movie? Yeah, I'll sum up the movie. I'll do the, the boy summary. Okay. Where I like leave out the, the good stuff. Okay. Um, <laughs> the movie, it actually is kind of a dark premise. The, mm. the premise is... We open it. We open on like a funeral. Um, Tom Hanks is a is a is a a recent widower, mm. and he has a son named Jonah. Tom's character's name in this is Sam. By the way, I'm going to try and use his okay. name instead of trying to always say Tom. Okay. Um, so Sam's wife has passed away, and he is left with a young boy named Jonah. Mm. <clears throat> he is like an he works in like an architecture architecture firm. There you go. Can't speak, <laughs> and. Um, he basically decides after his wife passes, he's in Chicago, and he doesn't. He can't do it anymore. So he moves to Seattle with his son. Um, and they're sort of living their life as as you do, and sort of dealing with the emotional weight of sort of the changes in how they grow up together. Um, meanwhile, on the other side of the country, Meg Ryan's character. Who, Annie. Oh, Annie, yes. Um, she is newly engaged to um, a really nice dude who's just very boring. Yeah. And one night when she's driving to meet his this gentleman's family on Christmas Eve, she hears a radio show that Sam, Tom Hanks' character's son, has called into. Basically saying, my dad, um, need, I need a new mom. He needs a new wife. And she hears this and kind of becomes infatuated with him. And as the movie progresses, there's sort of this weird play where like Jonah's trying to get them to meet. Uh, and Annie's sort of like dealing with this idea of, am I settling or is the magic of true love, does it actually exist? Mm. And so the movie kind of goes about that idea. Yeah. I mean, I think the most interesting thing out of all of the things in this movie is that Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, like, don't ever really interact. They they have, like, two total minutes of on-screen time together. Which yeah. Which really surprised me, but it was kind of cool. It's what makes this movie so special, I think. Yeah. It's like you're watching people fall in love, and they don't even know they're falling in love. The movie's really pure. Mm-hmm. Like, it is... There's people like Meg Ryan's Annie. Mm-hmm. Her, the, the man she's going to marry, is not a bad person. They don't try and, like, make him a villain or anything where you're like, how could you marry him? He's just sort of dull and not the person for her. Yeah. She sort of spends the movie trying to convince herself that this is... Like, she, no, this is what I love. I love him. This is what I want. Mm-hmm. And everything she keeps hearing from other people about their relationship seems to get in the way of that. Yeah. She's not really one to believe in signs or magic. Yeah. Mostly because she's never experienced them. Yeah. And we don't, we don't get a ton into her, to her backstory, but she, yeah, she seems very against the idea that that exists. Yeah. She, yeah. She's never, she doesn't know what it's like. But... But Sam, on the other hand of it, other side of it, totally believes in magic, believes mm-hmm. in true love, believes in signs, but he thinks that they only happen once. And it, yeah. I think one of the first things he says in the opening of the movie is, it just doesn't happen twice. Yeah. 
Yeah, he on the when he's on the radio show, he spends a lot of time discussing why he loved his wife and why he thought it was sort of this perfect once in a lifetime thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems like two people on two different very sides of things, where they're both sort of pessimistic and sort of have just accepted that this is life now. Mm-hmm. Um, this is because it's set in the early '90s, so the culture of dating is really different and they sort of play into the jokes of that time that I don't think makes sense to us all the way. No. Like, um, there's a discussion as Sam's getting back into dating, he's talking to his friend and they talk about like, well, what do you do? Like, well, you're going to meet at the restaurant and you're going to split the tab. And he was like, I would never let a woman pay for my, pay her half of the dinner. And you're like, huh. He's like so old fashioned. Yeah. <laughs> Very traditional. Did you ever listen to those radio shows like Delilah After Dark, where I, people call in. I, um, from I would like hear them from time to time. I think, I think my mom used to listen to um Doctor Laura. Yeah. Uh, so I am familiar with the format and how goofy it can be. Uh, people like dedicate how, songs to each other. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember that because oh I do remember, I remember the the dedication ones because the woman had like the most like sultry smooth voice but she was like this one goes out to yeah charles in north carolina i used to stay up listening to that like i had a little cd player that also got fm radio yeah. i would just lay in my bed at night listening to people talk i'd love it <laughs> and now, we're, now you're doing a podcast so it makes a lot of sense yeah well, who would you would you dedicate if you were to dedicate a song to someone right now it doesn't have, you know the name the someone What's the song you would dedicate? As a kid, I should say. Was there a song you would have sent to someone? Well, you know what song I fucking loved when I was little was... Uh, is it called I Saw the Sign by Ace of Base? Or oh, maybe. I can't remember the name. I, I the song. Saw the Sign. Yeah. I loved that song. I probably would have dedicated... I used. I literally, my copy of it when I was little was recorded from the radio onto a tape. I had a 100%. weird thing with that where... I when the song Stacy's Mom came out, yeah, I recorded it to a tape to listen to because I was so obsessed with the song. It was so catchy, and that I probably would have dedicated that song to someone. <laughs> it was before we could like just listen to any song we wanted. Yeah, when access was At limited the, and I didn't have time. any money to buy CDs. And then even when iTunes came out, it was you still had to pay a dollar to even yeah. download a song. World's changed. Yeah, Spotify baby for the better question mark. <laughs> This oh yeah, hashtag Spotify, uh, please. Put us on your platform. Oh yeah, please accept our <laughs> request and sponsor us. We'll do your weird, your things. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. So, I feel like I'm gonna, I'm gonna let me I'm gonna start right at the beginning with the one negative thing. Okay. Which is just a thing of its times. There was one joke in this movie when Rosie O'Donnell, who in a reunion. They never spend any time on screen together in a reunion from League of Their Own. Right. Um, she makes a joke about what kind of person Tom could be uh, and makes a, a, a very uncool trans joke yeah. that has aged very poorly. Yeah. But I think I can say, with the rest of it, minus that very poor taste, the everything else. Kind of holds up. Yeah. I mean... It surprised me. You mentioned... I mean, the whole... The premise of this movie is that Meg Ryan, that Annie has fallen in love with Sam, but they've never met, and he's never even he doesn't know anything about her. Yeah, she by has just this, his voice. Yeah, exactly. She has this kind of like deep insight into his world. She's a, she's a reporter at a newspaper, so she has access to things like 
background checks and mm-hmm. private detectives. That, like, she gets a lot of information about him. So it's really unbalanced. Yeah, they play up... Um... I know. I think the movie exists to be as pure as it is, so that that story works. Otherwise, yeah. it would come across really, really creepy. creepy. But instead, it's just sort of like you're like, oh, yeah. I it mean, could be. you mentioned it. Like, what if the roles were reversed? Yeah, you could remake because it's. I. It's interesting how you can play it because I. I don't know. It, I think it works in the context of the world they set up, where it's everyone seems pretty cool and chill. Even if they're aware, like Rosie O'Donnell's whole rant about this person could be someone scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. You buy into it pretty fast, and you don't. I don't think it. It it didn't like pull me out of the movie. No, it's a romantic comedy. Like yeah. it, the the bound the what's like the parameters of it only exist and only work because you buy into it. Yeah, if you're nitpicking the core plot of a romantic comedy, I feel like you you already lost as an audience member. Like yeah. maybe it's maybe they're not for you. You're like looking in the wrong place. Yeah. <laughs> like why are you you knew what you were getting into, right? So, I'm not normally a romantic comedy person, um especially like modern ones. Mm-hmm. That's not really I truly think that Sleepless in Seattle is like one of the best examples of a romantic comedy. And it's a it's one that like a story that I buy and a story that I'm invested in and that I care about. I think the characters are so interesting. Mm-hmm. I think also uh, like there's so many things that I love about this movie, and it's fine if you don't like it. Like it's okay if you don't. I mean, just don't tell me. Okay, <laughs> just kidding. You could tell me. Um, obviously, I'm biased. This is my favorite movie of all time. We've talked about this. When. Well, let's let's backtrack a little bit. When did you when did you find Sleepless in Seattle? I don't know. When I think about what the first time I saw it, I must have just been in college or something. I guess I don't know. Is it sort of like comfort food? It's like thing? this is a movie that I watch when I'm sad, when I'm happy, when I'm dating somebody new, and I want to see if we're a good fit. Yeah. It's like. Oh, is this one of the test movies? Yeah. Nobody's passed the test yet. (laughs) (laughs) Also, my Bumble bio for a while was that my ideal man is the 1994 version of Tom Hanks, but I'm willing to settle. Weird. It's weird how that didn't work for me. Maybe now you've invested your art into podcast form. It can now spiral out. Yeah, probably. Well, um, yeah. I remember watching this movie when I was having kind of like the worst panic attacks, like worst anxiety of my life. This is the movie that I put on when I feel sick, when I feel sad, during the holidays. It's like, I'll put this movie on and I'll just fall asleep to it. I just love it. And there's so much of it. I've seen the first like 20 minutes Mm -hmm. hundreds of times. And then you fall asleep. And then I fall asleep. (laughs) And then every time I watch it, like sit down and watch the whole thing, I'm like, oh yeah. It's like a pretty tight hour 45. Like it's not, it doesn't feel like it drags at all. No, I felt like it was kind of slow only because I was like worried that you weren't going to like it. Oh, I've had a lot of anxiety (laughs) about you coming over here. First of all, because you've never been here. Mm -hmm. And also because we're watching a movie that's like really important to me. In your home turf. Yeah. And I just like want everything to be perfect, you know? Setting does matter. You see a movie with a bad audience or in a bad like mindset, it could ruin the Yeah. That's fair. Well, I get like. We've talked about how perfect your movie setup is at your place. I clearly don't have that kind of setup. Or just make it where, like, if you hate it, then, like, we have an issue. 
Yeah. If, if I if I'm if I'm like making you come watch a movie and I'm like you don't like the setup, man. <laughs> this ain't working. Uh, yeah. But anyway, I remember I wrote an essay about this movie. One of the first things I ever put on my blog. Oh really? Yeah. It's called Why Sleepless in Seattle is the Greatest Movie of All Time. Oh, I read. Th- I th- no, I think I, I think I did not read it in anticipation to. So I'm, I mean, to put honestly, it in the show notes. it's kind of a garbage essay. Because I just list Tom Hanks as the reasons. Mm-hmm. Like, four times I list Tom Hanks. That's because fair, I, though. I mean, he's really, like, my ideal man. Yeah. That's not an exact... Like, Tom Hanks in Sleepless in Seattle is what I'm looking for in a partner. <laughs> I love that he believes in love. Mm-hmm. I love that he has a child to show that he's responsible. He's got a good job. He's funny. He's polite. And he... It's just, like, something about him is, like, perfect. But I also like that they kind of dip into, like, the seedy underbelly of what he's going through. Like, he is, he's, he's all those things, but at the same time, he's, like, clearly emotionally distressed. I know. So attractive. (laughs) there's, like, moments where he starts to kind of, like, take out that frustration on, like, his kid, but then he's sort of self-aware that he's doing it, because the kid will call him out, which I I really like. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... So they kind of paint him as like a full human, not just like ultimate nice guy, but also as like someone who's struggling and yeah, he's dealing cool. with grief. I mean, that would be a truly almost impossible situation. I feel. Yeah, I have I have no concept to like wrap my head around that. Yeah, the the mindset of that. Um, and then on the other side of things, um, Annie is sort of in like this weird like quote unquote perfect trajectory where she's like she's got a great she's got a great family who they're all weird but like they're close. And then this man that she's met that's like everything she wants, so she thinks. And so it's kind of their parallel stories of how they're going to change, how he'll become open to dating again and how she'll realize that she doesn't have to settle. Yeah. They have so many things I think as an audience we get to see why they're perfect for each other. And they don't even get to yeah. notice it. We get the satisfaction of it. Like, they say things at the same time when he's on the radio. And and Jonah knows that she's perfect for him because she likes the same baseball. She writes letters to Jonah. I don't know. It's just... I also love the location. Yeah. I'm from the Seattle area. I'm very familiar with a lot of the specific locations in the movie. I've always dreamed of living on a houseboat or staying in one. I think it's so the the it's like picturesque. It's so exciting. I love Pike Place. There's a at that restaurant where they're sitting, mm-hmm. him and the guy, and they're talking about tiramisu. There's a little plaque um, at that chair that says Tom Hanks sat here. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you get a picture of it sometime. Um. Yes. Yeah. They also. In a weird thing with locations with this movie, it starts in Chicago, uh-huh. where I, I lived for many years going to college. Mm-hmm. And then there's a direct line in the movie talking about Tulsa, Oklahoma, yeah. where I'm from. And then it moves to Seattle, where you're from. A little weird, a little suspicious. It's almost like they made this movie knowing that they someday... They were ready. They are like, episode 19 of a podcast. Really going to dig in deep to this. It's like... And take to the it. The radio, but people listen to it on their own terms. Yeah, on their phones. Yeah beautiful thing it is um okay so here's some things maybe to get the discussion going for you and i first of all do you believe in signs Uh, i like to i i do i like to believe in signs um 
I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's like a universal thing that works for everyone, but I think, and maybe it's just the optimist. Like, I like the idea of signs. Mm-hmm. I don't think I like the idea of a destiny because I like to believe that we make our, oh. what we move through. We get to choose. And it, it, I think I always thought, at least growing up, I always thought the idea of like destiny was dangerous to, to me because then you're on a path. And if at some point you veer from it or feel like you don't want that anymore, then like in a way you failed. And I was always like, well, I don't think that, in that regard to destiny, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that there's like a, a thing that you're striving for, but if you fail, then like you failed. Because so I think you can shift, and there's a, your new destiny. Okay. Um, but I, I do like the idea of signs because I think it, at the very least they're just something that like motivates and inspires you in a way maybe you didn't think about before because you view it as something important, whether or not it actually is in the spectrum of the universe. And I, I think it's exciting to get something that just like clicks with you, and you're like, oh, yeah, this could mean something. Even if you're looking for it to mean something, maybe that could be positive. Yeah. I think I'm the same way. I mean, I've, I I guess I'm more led by intuition and, like, kind of the thought that anything that I want is already mine. I just yeah. need to go get it. Mm-hmm. So, like, maybe, like, manifesting or just, like, realizing the full potential of, of yourself and of your... But I when it comes to romance and love, which we've talked about, you know, I'm sure a million times on this podcast... <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I kind of like to believe that you know when you know. Mm-hmm. I think it, I think you do have to sort of follow your internal alarm system. Because, I, tell, I don't know, if something excites you and continues to excite you, then that's good. But if something ever makes you feel remotely that it's not fully, then like you should maybe try and dive into why that is yeah and let that because i i don't know i think the same thing where like love at first sight is that a bad mindset to have yeah. is that putting like an expectation that is impossible and yeah the movies I... say no but then this movie also talks about that idea mm-hmm. because annie is really obsessed with um an affair to remember with Cary grant and she that's why she chooses the empire state building to be like their place that they meet but then other characters in the movie tell her that that's bad but then other people are like well that's my wife's favorite movie and yeah so it's sort of a weird spectrum of things they're telling us yeah do you think well i've always said that this movie is like is one of the reasons that i think it's perfect is that it isn't a romantic movie in the sense that it like pushes men away maybe i'm wrong no i don't think so did you find this accessible i think i think both both sides are painted, and I think that's why it's really interesting is the way that they paint both sides of the, of the of, and like for gender roles and everything in this, mm-hmm. like they every both sides are completely their own and they have their own issues. And the movie makes fun of it because is is it was it written by the director as well, Nora Ephron? Yeah, yeah, um, I believe so. So it's from a woman's a woman's. This is a woman's voice speaking through men and women in the in the film. And she gets to poke fun at things that I think men make fun of women for in real mm-hmm. life. And uh, But it's never, like, cynical. It's always, like, in a... I don't know. It's all in character. Yeah. And lets them be, like... There's, like, a joke about them being really emotional. But I feel like that's almost, like, a wink that she's giving of, like, we know. Like, you're, you've, we've gotten crap for this for years. Like, this whole stereotype. and Well, in every Nora Ephron book and every Nora Ephron movie is, like is those like tragic love stories or you're crying and you're yeah. like 
this does make fun. One of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is uh, when Tom and his friends are in their houseboat in Seattle and, and Rita Wilson, who's also in this movie. <laughs> she's, she's in every Tom Hanks movie. Yeah. Um, she's explaining an affair to remember, right? Mm-hmm. And she starts breaking down and crying and she and they're just looking at her. She's in this you know, she's in a room full of men. She's trying to explain why this movie's important and she's breaking down in tears at the thought of it. And they're looking at her like, what the heck? And Jonah's like, what? Women are crazy. And even though it's kind of um, old fashioned and she's kind of the butt of the joke, there's something about it. I think like I laugh every time because then they start joking about a sports movie or some. some... Yeah. It's it's like playing on this, the thing where, you know, a bunch of guys are talking sports and there's like a girl in the movie and she's like. What is that? What are you talking about? Yeah. So just the, the and nice I just reversal. I feel like I've been in that situation so many times where, I mean, I'm already very emotional, but when I try to talk about something that's important to me, and then I kind of like talk myself into getting like, I cry about it or I get really angry. Like that's like a real thing that's happened to me. That scene <laughs> where people look at me like, "What's wrong with you?" And then I started going to therapy, and now I'm much better at that. Um, That's me when I explain Paddington 2 to people. <laughs> There's a bad haircut, and... You don't get great. it. We're kind and polite. The world will be right. <laughs> You'll understand eventually. <laughs> um, okay. I mean, I don't... Oh, you know what we were both laughing at was that apple peeling scene. Oh, yeah. Are you? Do you peel your apples to eat them? No. Especially not with a knife. We're, I mean, we're specifically talking about this moment where in the middle of the night, Meg Ryan wakes up after sleeping next to Walter, who's like big allergy, snoring hunger boy while he's asleep. <laughs> he's got like a fucking humidifier going. And she gets up to listen to the radio. Or she like can't sleep or something. Yeah. She starts peeling an apple with a knife, which is insane. So <laughs> dangerous. Your hand could slip at any moment. Then, um... Sam later talks about that his wife could do that. She could peel an apple in one long curly piece. I guess that's just not a character trait I knew existed. I've never peeled an apple. No. I'll wash it and then I eat it. I ate an apple in the middle of while we were watching this yeah. movie. And I used Maybe a I little should try and peel one. Maybe there's something cutter. better about it. Well, the skin, I can see it. The skin's got all the good parts in it, though. Yeah, it's like you yeah. need the fiber in it, hmm. but whatever it's just opened a new world to me i guess it's just another thing that makes them perfect for each other yeah because she basically peels the whole thing in one long curly string yeah pretty dang close that is an interesting message though dude he's gonna go back to someone who's sort of this per- perfect for him to a degree but it's mm-hmm. sort of the same thing so will he actually find true love again or is he just kind of putting his expectations on her I know the movie ends with so much possibility the movie ends with a lot of questions right but I mean, they have a questions. lot of catching up to do. Yeah. First they could have done all. a sequel. Know, they should have maybe done a sequel. I mean, well, we've already seen one Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan feature. Mm-hmm. Joe versus the Volcano, which I loved. Me too. The next one is You've Got Mail. Which is also same writer, same director, maybe too. Oh, really? Yeah, she wrote, she, Nora wrote um, You've Got Mail. She may have directed it too, but I know she wrote it. Cool. Or maybe she did not. Maybe she only directed it and did not write it. But I feel like that sounds right. 
we don't have to talk about this now, but eventually people always compare these two specifically. You've got Mail and Sleepless in Seattle and kind of, I obviously like Sleepless in Seattle more, but I think it tells a lot about a person based on what they like most. Yeah. I haven't seen Sleepless in Seattle or um, You've Got Mail I've seen, but I was a teenager and I don't really remember it. Yeah. So I'll just... It's gonna be really funny to watch that. And she did. She did write and direct it too. Oh, cool! So they could be a good double feature. Do you think it's time to talk about if you like the movie or not? Sure. Okay. What did you think? You just want like a straight answer? I just want to know. I really liked it. Really? I really liked it. You really did, and you're not just saying that. No, I absolutely did. Oh, that's this would be the part where I'd I'd break because I looked for things. I was like, okay, I'll be a little tougher. I'll try and find some subject critique. And there's like there's like the the off color joke and um, but for the most part the one thing I liked immediately is that it's a romantic comedy but it's less comedy than I thought, much more like drama, mm-hmm. uh, and then kind of saves its comedy moments for the things that are a little bit far fetched to make it almost a joke. Yeah. Um. The one thing I didn't like, Tom Hanks's hair in it. Oh yes, it Just is controversial. A strange. He makes a he makes a, a joke about it at one point that he's like I, I wanted to look like I got a haircut but it doesn't look like yeah. something like that. Just a strange overall strange cut, very nineties. Yeah, he looks different in this movie. He do, you, well, you had mentioned during it that uh, the way everyone dresses makes them look older. Uh huh. And they, they make a few jokes about like you don't you have better chance of being killed by a terrorist than getting married over forty or something. Yeah, so they might be. I feel Close like they're supposed to, to be over 40 in this. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they, everyone looks older. Yeah. Which is interesting. That specific style of the 90s was so unflattering. I mean, it is my aesthetic. <laughs> it's like very but, large clothes. Yeah, oversized. Meg Ryan can pull it off. Yeah. She looks phenomenal. I think it doesn't work for Tom necessarily, but there's something about it that's like so... Char- like, he reminds me of my own dad. Yeah. Like that big puffy windbreaker he wears, and like as children of the '90s, I think it is absolutely correct. And so mm-hmm. we we so, and that, that's what's interesting is you. I almost identify with Tom as like a father figure mm-hmm. versus a love interest because you're like I I know that dad. I know that like might be why I find Tom such like an ideal person for me is because obviously I love my dad and yeah. I find him. I I think my dad's a great man, and I would be lucky to end up with someone like my dad. Yeah without making it weird it, like that's why i think that's where the core of my like tom hanks yeah there's um, like a moral center to the he's character just an that, honest man yeah. it's like he's like the friend and the father that everyone wants yeah because he's true on a surface level as much as yeah okay so you didn't think it was as funny as you expected it would be but not no i thought way. it would be more of a straight more of a straight comedy to be honest yeah i'm surprised how often it kind of slowed down to have character moments yeah which to me made it work more because i think it you you could have shaved 15 minutes off if you wanted to make it just more like a fast-paced comedy comedy thing but i think the slowdown helped it and didn't make i didn't think the movie was slow at any points but yeah um i was surprised by that because i think people always quote it's like one of their favorite comedies and i was like oh having watched it i was like i think it's less a comedy than i thought yeah most of the comedy comes from jonah Jonah and like just things in conversation that are kind of funny. Yeah, like a real people. Yeah, like a yeah. Real it felt people. less about punchline jokes and more about like situational like this real life humor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so much. 
They never outright say why Walter is so annoying, mm-hmm. but it's clearly because he's allergic to everything. <laughs> yeah, that, I did I did almost take issue with that. I was like, this poor guy has like the most insane problems. But I guess if you're dating someone who seems to be someone who wants to be adventurous and try new things, even if they've convinced themselves that's not it, then someone who can't do that, does they they can't be functional in a relationship. Yeah. So I guess if you look at it as that, as we're like, Walter's not the bad guy. And even the way that they end up splitting is like so mutual and respectful. Yeah. Where he's like, I love you, but if, if I'm going to be something you settle for, then like that's never going to work for us. And like he doesn't look defeated. He looks, I think he looks sad, but also probably happy that he didn't continue on with things to live like a life that would maybe be secretly He had miserable. a feeling the whole time. Mm-hmm. He knew. Uh, so I like that they paint him ultimately as like, you're just not, there's going to be someone else for Walter. Yeah. We could, we could talk about Victoria. We talked about Walter. We'll talk oh, about Victoria. Victoria. Victoria is someone that Sam has worked with and is now, as Sam gets back into dating, he decides to, to, to go on a date with her. Well, yeah. Also his thing is like, if he's getting back into dating, he sure commits to Victoria really fucking fast. I think, I, I, that, I, I kind of felt like that played into like his emotional state where he's like, I'm. Just he's just willing to if he's gonna go for it, he's gonna go all out for it. He's gonna. He doesn't really want to try. try this dating thing again. He introduces Victoria to his son so quickly. Yeah, like coming over to cook. She comes over to cook them dinner real fast. But Jonah Which, knows what's up. Jonah, he ain't, he ain't having none of that. Is literally me. <laughs> the way that he cannot sometimes just control his emotions, like he's so sassy to her. It's great, and she knows it too. Yeah, God, that line where he's like. Yeah, I never saw anyone do that to a potato before or something like that. It's so rude. She laughs like a hyena. It's the same thing with Walter where like she has one, because she seems pretty nice and mm-hmm. she seems invested in, in Sam. Uh, but there's like one key characteristic to her that just ruins it. And for her, it's a laugh. Well, and I think that if if he was in love with her, that mm-hmm. that laugh would be something he loved about her. Yeah. It did, I mean, Tom, I mean, Sam never, like, makes a comment about her laugh, but clearly it's, like, not something that everybody loves. Yeah, it's very distinctive. Same with Walter's allergies. If she was really, truly, madly in love with him, that would be an endearing thing about him. And, and it also plays up that since Sam is the one who, like, sparked the phone call and has, like, kept in touch with Annie secretly, um, he's seen all of these people who want to meet his dad. And so in his mind, it's not only getting a wife for his dad, but he's going to get a mom, someone who will be in his life. Yeah. So his investment in, like, I have to like this person as much is 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 funny. It's very charming. And, and Jonah has that other side friend, Jessica, who they, they... There's, like, I like... You get to really know about almost every character, I feel. Yeah. You get a little peek into all their lives. That, my favorite joke of the movie is is Sam comes home and Jonah's in his room with his girl, Jessica. They're eight, by the way. And they turn around in this giant, like, men in black chair that they're sitting in. Yeah. And when they're done, uh, he's like, oh, close the door on the way out. And, and they turn back around and uh, Sam closes the door and then stops and opens it halfway and kind of stares in and then walks away. Like, you're not the boss of me. This yeah. is my house. <laughs> I think um, we just talked about pacing, but to just revisit it. There is something really nice about how it just, the movie is allowed to breathe. Like, every moment is given the time and attention. I I do sometimes feel like the movie's a little long, but I appreciate it and I can see why it's needed. I just, I think a, a lot of 
if they made this movie again now, first of all, they would never make this movie again, I don't think. It, it was just something too, like, plain and simple about it for yeah, it to make it's just money. Too pure. <laughs> and a lot of those moments would just be chopped up. Like, we wouldn't get that long scene of Tom opening a door and. Yeah, it would be, like, much more. Um, joke to joke and then I think it'd be worse off because of it mm-hmm. I don't think they make movies like this anymore no the the most recent thing I saw that I, I really liked in like romantic comedy world that really worked besides The Big Sick which I thought was fantastic uh-huh. did you ever see The Big Sick? not yet it's really really good I think in the, in the terms of romantic comedies if you could even call it that I think it absolutely kills okay but then there's a new netflix movie called set it up oh yeah that i also really dug i watched that because you told me it was good yeah it's that same type of thing where it's just kind of ridiculous but is slight it's like pretty pure and just sticks to its premise through and through and understands that it is what it is but doesn't care and it's exactly i'm i don't consider myself to be somebody who enjoys romantic comedies especially modern ones like if i'm thinking about like every Katherine Heigl movie that's ever been made. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't buy it. I don't believe it. I don't, I don't, I don't want to watch it. But Set It Up was great. 13 going on 30 is a, yeah. maybe a masterpiece. <laughs> masterpiece. <laughs> Generous. Um, it's Mark, it's Mark Ruffalo. He is also He's my more, type. Yeah. Have He's a, very Tom Hanksy. That makes sense. I have a specific type. <laughs> Mostly like men above a certain age who could probably be my dad. You're gonna get some weird iTunes things now. They're gonna be Stay like, oh, out of here. What's up? Yeah, um, yeah. Set it up was good because um, it felt like an old-fashioned romantic comedy, but made for the modern ages. Yeah. What do you think about modern dating? You well, haven't had to do no, it. No, that I'm in a weird thing where I've been dating Rachel for almost seven years, <sighs> so. When we started dating, I mean, online dating existed in the 2000s, I'm sure, but I was a teenager. <clears throat> so the whole, like, having a smartphone and, like, apps like Tinder and stuff and Bumble to use as dating with, like, online profiles, I never did. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's the norm that uh, all of my friends who are dating use, and it's just, like, a world I don't understand. Yeah. And it seems really intimidating because you have to, like, you now have to have a front pant like you have like this business card of here's who i am on the surface and hopefully that will somehow yeah bridge a discussion and there's so many possibilities that it it almost seems impossible it seems yeah i it seems very i hate it i fucking hate it i haven't been on a date in a while mostly because i keep getting stood up but Mm. that's another (laughs) That's another conversation that that's, we... That's a weird... And I've read about that too. What a weird world. Like why... Yeah. In a world where you can... I can text and thing and have an immediate answer. Yeah. Be like, hey, I'm not going to... not going to make it. Yeah. It's yeah, bizarre. I don't... That is a... I also like... world doesn't make sense to me. In general, I don't understand how adults date. Like I understand in high school and in college, it's easy to meet so many people your age with the same yeah. interests. I don't know when the fuck I'm supposed to find time to do that with my line of work. And make time to, like, hang out. And, like, go meet strangers. Like, what? I would much rather <laughs> spend the few free hours that I have in my life doing things. I don't know. Maybe that I'm just supposed like to meet Tom people. podcast. Yeah, yeah. Doing a Tom Hanks podcast. <laughs> or going to the library by myself. 
going to the beach. But like, I guess a lot of the things I do are just, I'd rather be by myself. Uh, that said. <laughs> this is the romantic comedy episode. You're like, Meh. Yeah. Yeah, um, I don't know. Modern modern dating is a world that, um, as bad as this sounds, I'm thankful to not have to dive into. No, that's good. But as soon as Rachel figures it out and like skedaddles, <laughs> uh, I'll figure it out then, I guess. No, you won't have to. We'll see what happens. Well, what did you think of this one in comparison to Joe versus the Volcano? Um... Or any of the other romantic comedies. Splash. That's tough. I really love Joe versus the Volcano. Yeah. But mostly because... Like, this is, a, like I said a few times now, it's like a very pure uh, romantic comedy, but Joe versus Volcano puts like a really weird spin on it that makes it really endearing to me. Yeah. It's um, like quirky and weird. I think it's easily as good, if not better. Like, as a movie, maybe better. But I, I would say Joe versus the Volcano and Sleepless in Seattle are probably around the same, very high on my list. Yeah. And with Big... Yeah, kind the characters the are so likable. Yeah. Even though they're flawed, it's like... I mean, Splash was weird because you don't buy the romance, to me at yeah. least. I don't buy that they're in love. And in Sleepless in Seattle, you don't have to buy that they're in love. You just have to buy the fact that they could eventually fall in love. That's the smartest thing Sleepless in Seattle does, I think, is that we spend an hour and 40 minutes of the movie not together. Mm-hmm. You learn about each individual and why... We as the audience have to put together why we think they would work together. Because it goes beyond just, they say the same things, they like the same things, but you see like how they function mm-hmm. and why that might work. And so then you have this huge buildup of anticipation to see them together, and then the ending moment is very satisfying. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of it is just up to your imagination. What do you think happens? Um, I, I hope that they, well, I hope that they end up together, obviously. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming they go walk. I feel like they probably walked around New York and Jonah like said Jonah. some weird stuff. Cause he's kind of, he's a little pervy. Jonah. Oh. Um, but then I do wonder because she said she would never move to Seattle. But that seems like something you would say and then end up moving to Seattle. Well, also, Sam has kind of proven that he'll just kind of go yeah. anywhere as long as it's not Chicago. He doesn't seem to have an attachment to Seattle or outside of his business that he moved. So I think they end up somewhere completely new to both of them. Yeah. Not Seattle, not Baltimore. Well, and location was important to him. Like, he moved from Chicago because he was like, every time I walk around a corner, I'll remember my wife. Yeah. So I think to him, those types of details are important where he wants... A fresh... And it seems to be maybe New York because that's where now... That would be cool. Yeah. She could easily get a job as a reporter in New York. They both seem very skilled at their jobs where they can just do whatever they want and they'll make it... Yeah, they're also, <laughs> like, really fucking rich is what it seems like. Yeah, I was a little confused by... The wealth factor. I mean, I think that's just how it is in Nora Ephron movies where everybody has these perfectly manicured homes that are styled impeccably. Like, you can get a feel of the general style of the time based on what Nora Ephron movie you're watching. (laughs) So, I'm trying to think of other examples. Like, Because I Said So and um, what's that? Uh, The Intern, that one that just came out with Anne Hathaway. Oh, yeah. Robert De Niro. Was that one of hers? Uh Uh-huh. You can tell because it's the decoration. Like, it's really, truly the style of the... Anyway, I love them. I love the Nora Ephron movies. I, they're just fun. They're guilty pleasures. Um, they do feel like they last. Like, they hold up. Well, then the little time capsules, too. Which is nice. Mm-hmm. Though, you know, I've always, I've always hated the term guilty pleasure. Why? I think if you like it, you like it. You don't have to defend that to anyone. Yeah. Because p- guilty pleasure makes me think of, like, well, I know this is bad 
so they say, and I like it. But I'm always like, no, I like it. I don't care. You don't like it. Whatever. I've never thought about that. I don't know what it, I don't know what broke me on guilty pleasure, but I was like, you don't have to defend it. If you like it, you freaking like it. Yeah, it's true. I don't feel guilty. Yeah. I love Tom Hanks. <laughs> I love Tom Hanks. There, I said it. <laughs> this was therapy. And it was yeah. perfect and brilliant. So I guess that sums up our conversation about the movie Sleepers in Seattle. I think so. Other than the fact that I didn't rate the movie, but obviously I rate it five out of five stars, two thumbs up, would and will watch again repeatedly <laughs> until the end of time. Um, great. Moving on. Time for our most popular segment. Drum roll. It's time for Hangs Happenings. Wow. I think we've drummed all the last few episodes. Oh, really? So there's an expectation now. Okay. Or we just got to change it to something cool. I know. Or that. something different. Something, yeah, something cool too. Okay. Well, Bring a few days ago, five days ago at the time of this recording, Tom Hanks posted an image on his Instagram and he tweeted it of a book that he's read recently called Our Towns, a 100,000 mile journey into the heart of America about two people, James and Deborah Fallows, who fly a little plane across the country and stop in little places and then write about it. It's like a nonfiction memoir style, like personal journey. It's a great idea. Yeah. It's literally the type of movie, like the best type of Tom Hanks. But it seems like it just makes sense that that'd be a book he reads. Especially after reading Uncommon Type. Yeah. He's, He's got... fascinated. It seems like, God, I sometimes I feel like I <laughs> just speaking for him. Yeah. Um, it he it does seem like he's so, appre- well, and he's an actor too, so it makes sense that he appreciates personal stories and just like slices of life, little people, little pieces of it. Like he just, humanity seems mm-hmm. something like he appreciates. Anyway, he clearly did because he posted about this book and he said, it's the most optimistic stories about America, nonfiction, personal. And then he said, I may move to Sioux Falls or at least visit Rapid City too others and then he signed it hanks um so then everybody in sioux falls there's like this one newspaper that just keeps writing articles and everyone like really wants tom hanks to move to sioux falls and it's really sweet and obviously he's not gonna do it but it's really pure and really sweet that an entire town would like come together at the thought of tom hanks moving there and it just makes me think of like of small towns and it makes me think of my hometown and if Tom Hanks would ever visit um of your hometown I don't know it's just sweet got a pretty big hometown though yeah I guess well same with my hometown is like a city basically but feels small now because LA's like a yeah everything's small LA's like 12 different cities but it's just one the population of LA the population of the city of Los Angeles is the population of the state of Oklahoma it's more that's crazy. When people are like, how's traffic? And I'm like, let me explain this to you. <laughs> oh, there's also, I have one other thing's happening. Oh. Um, last month was the 30th anniversary of Big. Oh, yeah. It's a big old happy birthday to Big. And the 25th anniversary of Sleep Was in Seattle. Yeah, perfect timing. We picked, a, we picked a good year to start this. I mean, a lot of Tom Hanks movies come out this time of year, I feel. Yeah. Summer blockbusters. Same with, I think, um, uh, League of Their Own came out like right around the 4th of July of the year it came out. So. Yeah. Now we just get superhero movies. There's a lot of good stuff hidden. 
It's a lot of stuff hidden. It's a great year for movies, in my, in 2018? my opinion. Huh? 2018? I think so. Okay. Cool. We'll talk about it sometime. We'll have to. Because yeah. <laughs> I've been really bored. <laughs> Haven't been to the movies in a while. Okay. Is that it? I think that wraps it up. What's our next movie? Oh, great question. <laughs> <laughs> our next movie is Philadelphia. Oh my God. Directed by Jonathan Demme. Wow, I'm really excited. To be, it came out the same year as Sleepless in Seattle. So, oh my God, his range. Uh, what a radically different twofer to have. Truly, I've never seen Philadelphia. All right, all right. I won't say anything about it then. Okay. Well, if you're interested in continuing the conversation, if you feel like writing me a letter, telling me that you're in love with me and you live in a different country or a different state. I mean, actually don't, please don't do that. I get enough (laughs) Instagram messages like that. (laughs) Um, But if you do want to talk about Sleepless in Seattle and why it's the perfect movie, I'm open to it. Awesome. Um, You can also connect with us on our website, talkintom.com. That's talking without the G. We've got Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Facebook groups, SoundCloud. SoundCloud. Where can you find us? Pod Hanks Tomcast. It's clever, and it never gets old. Oh, never, never. Literally never. And you can find us on Twitter. Where are you at on the social medias? At Sugar and Satire, which is confusing, but that's the name of the aforementioned blog. <laughs> and I'm at Daniel Ott. Ooh, crazy. Uh, Except on Twitter, because some someone got it before I did. Ew. Someday I'll claim it. Yeah, we're coming for your brand, other Daniel <sighs> Ott. Okay. Well, it's been great. Been a great day. I'm Josie. I'm Daniel. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.